0: Uh, now that takes us back to our lesson. Alhamdulillah, uh, may Allah wa ta'ala bless everyone uh, for being here and for sharing. I'm actually so happy when people share. It's like I actually feel like, oh, wow, something is resonating, alhamdulillah. So we're going to now continue, uh, inshallah, our discussion uh, in Surah Al-Furqan. And, and you can quote me on, on, on what I said uh, earlier. Uh, feel free to do so. That anti-blackness is... A, a sin, a major sin, because it's an it's an act of arrogance, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't he doesn't love the arrogant, and the Prophet mentioned that people of arrogance are eligible for hell, and this is also being anti-immigrant, right? Anti anything, right? Th- those discourses that we find now, the secular discourses that have permeated into the Muslim community, whether it's anti-black dem- black. Uh, ideology and, and actions or nativism that has impacted the community, all this stuff is haram. man. And anyone who has a relationship with the Qur'an, there's no way they could buy into this. There's no way that they could buy into this. Yes, exactly, Zia, The final prophet, khutbah, alayhi salatu salam. So that takes us back now to short uh, Al-Furqan. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Uh, As we started here in this important verse, the first verse, it talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth, the creation of the stars and the moons and the sun, the alteration of the day and the night for those who are reflective and those who give thanks. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins to talk about the ibad ar-Rahman. I can try to bring up also a translation. Um, Let me see if I can find here how to share it with you all. No, I don't think it's gonna let me. So, if you have your, your mushaf, if you have your copy of the Quran, you can take it out if you want to take notes, inshallah. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after talking about, Then he continues, and we said that this chapter, this part of the chapter, is dividing our personal development into four areas. Number one is acquiring good qualities, adorning, if you will, a uh, the second component that we're going to find certain characters, t- characteristics talked about about these people is a takhalli, How do I remove? So we could talk about, for example, our discussion now about race. How do I how do I adorn myself with the notion of what Islam and how Islam looks at race, and then how do I remove sort of the 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 toxic uh, understandings of race as they're playing out now in the contemporary world. Right, That's that process that we're talking about. And the and, and the go-between is introspection, interrogation, and then toba, and then change. There's no toba if there's no change. There's repentance, and then there's a change. I'm going to change my way of thinking, my way of looking at things. And, and that's something people don't like to do. And then the third is those qualities that are going to allow us to maintain our adherence to the qualities of the servants of the most merciful. And then finally, what are those things we can use to increase our capacity? So we look at it in four ways what I need to acquire, what I need to remove, what I need to stay consistent, and then what will increase my capacity for more good. That's how this chapter is going to play out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the 63rd verse. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, those who spend their nights, bait, the word bait is translated as house, but the word bait actually is a place that you sleep at night. Tabiit means that I'm going to spend the night somewhere. This is a form, in Arabic, Arabs, they love to do this in ancient Arabic. They would name a place by what it's for. So, for example, the word masjid, why is it called masjid? Because it's the place of sujood. Mawadda, the place to make wudu. It's called that because that's what it's for. This is something as Imam Jorjani, who's a great scholar in Dalal al-Ijaz, he talks about this as something interesting in the Arabic language. So here, bait is the place where we sleep. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Li Rabbihim. Those who, and here, yabit, yabitun means they spend the night. And this lamb is meaning the lamb of ikhlas. That they spend the night sincerely for their Lord. The Prophet ﷺ said, indeed every righteous action is by its intention." Statement of of the the righteous people, niyatul mu'mini mini min amali, right? That the intention of a believer is better than his or her action. So they 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 worship at night. They do an action, but that action is coupled with sincerity. Some of our, our teachers would say that sincerity is to the action what the oxygen is to our bodies. That's why Imam Ibn Allah, he says in Al-Hikam, al huh? he says, al suratun qa'imah, right? That actions are simply in- empty vessels. What the ruh in those actions is that secret intention that's found therein, inside those actions. That's what brings life to the action. Somebody may pray Fajr, and somebody may pray Fajr next to them. And they they do the exact same movements. But one, their reward is like infinitely greater than the other. Why? Because of the intention. So he says, Because we know that sometimes people turn the most secret actions into moments of public exhibition. And this is the danger of positing now religious education and religious practice through the medium of social media. Whereas the initial component of religious acts is not social, it's for Allah. And then whatever comes after, alhamdulillah. But the danger now is that social media is causing people to think first and foremost about the makhluk instead of the khaliq. It doesn't mean also we should get rid of social media, but we need to be aware of its dangers. And that's one of its dangers. So, يَبِيتُونَ لِرَبِّهِمْ How do we achieve sincerity? Number one is we know Allah. The more we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the more we realize that no one can give us anything, not even a, a morsel of food that we eat except Allah. That every single thing we, we have, every Moment of our life, every second of our existence is from Allah, not from his creation. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Sayyidina ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him both. He said, know that if the entire world came together to harm you, they could not harm you unless Allah allowed them to. And if the entire world, if all the likes in the world, all the followers in the world... Came together to benefit you; they could not benefit you unless Allah subhanahu wa taala permitted them to. So Allah subhanahu wa taala is the one al Malikul al al-mudabbir, who controls all things. And when I when I when I know that, then my my vision of Allah dilates. What's called mushahadat al-qulub. My heart begins to see things that my eyes can't. That's why in Sultan Abbasa, the blind man who has nothing can see more than the aristocracy who has everything. wa al a'ma wa ma Why? Because that blind man doesn't see with his eyes, but he can see with his heart. Those rich people of Mecca who have all the followers and all the attention, they can see with their eyes, but they can't see with their heart. So the more I think about the Qur'an, the verses of Qur'an, the names and attributes of Allah, the stories of the prophets, I see Allah's actions in creation through the lens of the Qur'an, the easier it is to be sincere. Because I realized the only one who can give and take is Allah. No one else. So I'm able to amplify what I don't see. And minimize what I see around me. And this is the meaning of ihsan. To worship Allah as though you see him. Even though you can't see him. I worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because I know Allahu Allah. And the best place to learn this is the Surah Al-Fatiha. Alhamdulillah,irabbil alamin, ar rahman al-Rahim, Everything in dunya and everything in akhirah is controlled by Allah. No one else. So then, why would I worry about others? I should focus only on Allah. Wa ma umiru illa riya'wor Allah makhliy sinallahudinahna fa they were only ordered to worship Allah sincerely. So the first is knowledge. The second is obedience, the sign of sincerity that I obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al-Ghazari, and we were reading this on Tuesday nights at the ICNYU. It's online also for everybody. Imam Abu Hamid in Minhaj al-Abideen, he outlines the three things a sincere person should be learning. Theology, practical theology. Practice, how do I worship? And the third, how do I purify and work on my soul? Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. The last is that we achieve sincerity through test and success through life. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فِي الْعَنْعَامِ فِي الْعَنْعَامِ that in cows there's a lesson for you. We provide you drink what comes from their belly. Between feces and blood, what comes out of those cows? Is what pure milk. The word used is the same word for ikhlas. Lebanon Khalisan, Pure milk. So through the test of blood and feces, pure milk comes. Metaphorically, through the test of life, sickness, health, happiness, sadness, success, failure, blood and feces, you come out with ikhlas. So just as Leban, pure milk, comes through this process of digestion and difficulties and then is pure. The abd of Allah, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will come pure through difficulties and hardships. Difficulties teach us how we are completely under the control of Allah. Al-Qahar. Success reminds us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an nasir the one who aids and helps. Subhanallah. So now we see ikhlas is something different. And that's the fourth point. Ikhlas is a process, not an event. And this is perhaps one of the biggest mistakes I see people when it comes to religion. They want everything quick. They want it microwaved. But subhanAllah, religious go- growth is a process, not an event. Events are salt on the food. Everyone wants the Pauline epiphany. Everyone wants the Omar moment. But this is rare. And for most people, it's not healthy. But instead of process, that's why, again, in the hikam. Imam Ibn Ta'ala says, من Right? That the sign that we have trusted in our deeds instead of Allah is that when we're tested, we slip, we lose hope. But if my hope is in Allah, it's in the process, not the moment, then I understand my actions are just salt on the food. SubhanAllah. So Allah says, The word rub in Arabic is translated as Lord. I have a problem with this because it's rooted sort of in a post colonial translation. The word rub is more than Lord. This is the meaning of rub. Rub is the one who makes from nothing and then nurtures and provides that thing that was made. That's called Rub. subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, li him to their sustainer, their creator. So, wal yabi yabituna li rabbihim sujjadan wa qiyama. Those who, subhanallah, they spend their night for the sake of their Lord in sujood, in prostration, and Qiyam standing. If you think about it, subhanAllah, right? If you think about the order of salah, you may ask, why here is it you Why not qiyaman was sujjadan? Like why doesn't it begin with why does it begin with sujood instead of standing? There's something really interesting in the Quran in particular that we learn. That when something is important, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention its particular qualities or a particular component of it. So, for example, Allah says in Surah Baqarah, who is an enemy of Allah and his angels. Then he mentions Gabriel and Michael. He already mentioned the angels. Why is he mention them now? Because he wants to show their importance out of the angels, they're very important. This is called al in Arabic, where you mention a universal, and then you mention its particulars. Like sometimes when people talk about their favorite sports teams, they'll say the name of the team, and then they'll mention a few of the athletes associated with that team to show the centrality of those athletes and their relationship to that team. We also do this with food. We may mention the food, but then we mention the particular components of the food to show their importance. This is also in English, but not not in the same kind of way that that Arabic is very deliberate about this. So we find in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the universal aqeem as-salah, established salah. But then we find in the Qur'an something that's very rare. Instead of mentioning one or two particulars, Allah mentions every component of salah in isolation. So here, in Surah Al-Faqan, they are in sujood and they are standing. Allah says, wa qanitin, Stand in prayer in obedience to Allah. Allah says, wa Right, at the end of Surah Al-Alaq, he talks about sujood. But also, subhanAllah, he says to Sayyidah Maryam, وَرْكَعُوا مَعَ الرَّاكِعِينَ Warka'i وَرْكَعِي To make ruku. So there's ruku. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the talawa of Qur'an, the recitation of Qur'an in salah. وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ mashhuda. talking about salat al-fajr. That when someone's reciting the Quran in Salah, it's being witnessed by the angels. So if you think about what I'm saying here, Allah mentions prayer. And something really interesting, he mentions every single component of the prayer. Why? To show you that every single act of Salah is important. If every isolated act of Salah is important, then what about the entire act? of salah, subhanallah. That's why one of my teachers, mashallah, years ago, he said, if you want to know the importance of salah, just think about this, that the fard prayers, the obligatory prayers, the mandatory prayers, are divided into different cycles, what we call ruku' right? Raka'at. So for example, Fajr has two cycles. Dhuhr has four cycles. Asr has four cycles. Maghrib has three. Aisha has four. He said, Subhanallah, so two, three, and four are the number of raka'at in salah. He said, if you want to understand how important that is, look in Surah of Fatir, where Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says about the angels, wa wa ruba. They have two wings, three wings, and four wings. So just as the malaika obey Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala with those two, three, and four wings, as-salah is what allows us to soar, Allahu Akbar, in our iman, to obey Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these people, they spend their nights, part of their nights, in devotion. And what he's talking about is salah. And what he's talking about, we all know, is a tahajjud or Qiyam al-Layl. Let me make a few points about Qiyam al-Layl before we continue to the next verse. The first is that you are allowed to sleep before Qiyam al-Layl, but if you don't sleep, you can still pray tahajjud. There's this kind of rumor culturally that you have to sleep before tahajjud. This is incorrect. The time of tahajjud, night vigil starts from Isha to Fajr. Was Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiAllahu Anhu he used to pray early after Isha. Was Sayyiduna Umar and Sayyiduna Uthman or Sayyidina Ali? They would pray late. Pray late at the night. The second uh, question that people have is how many raka'at should they pray? It's up to you. This is nafa. You can pray as much as you want. The third is people ask, Do I have to pay witter? Do I have to pray the wit to prayer the one raqat when I'm finished? It's best, but it's not an obligation. Something also that the Prophet has said, he said, right? That the righteous people are those who pray while people are sleeping. So we understand from this hadith as well as other hadith, it doesn't mean you have to spend the entire night. In worship, but a little bit of the night. The Prophet said, wa anam. in an authentic hadith, I pray and I sleep. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa wa salam. The fifth is some people ask how to do this. What I encourage people to do is don't try to do more than you can handle. Start with one day a week or one day every two weeks. Make that the official day that you're going to pray and pray. SubhanAllah. There's another lesson that we take from this verse and the verse that came before it. The verse that came before it is talking about during the day during the daytime. Those who walk on the earth with humility. And when the ignorant reproach them, they say, salam. And those who spend their nights for the sake of their Lord in sujood and qiyam. al Hassan al-Basri, mashallah, one of the the great luminaries uh, of Islam, early, early, great scholars. He said when he would read these verses, for example, he'd read those who they... Walk on the earth with humility. This is this is how they use their day. They use their day for akhlaq and so on and so forth. And then when he would read the verse afterward, he'd say, and that they would spend their night in in some portion of their night in prayer. He said, this is describing their night. So what do we learn from this? These people are consistent. Their night and the day are the same. Why is sujood mentioned here before standing? Is because the Prophet said, The closest that a person can be to their Lord, right, is when they are in sujood. Some people ask, Is it allowed to make dua in sujood? I get this question a lot online. Subhanahu based on this hadith as well as others, and especially within the Maliki Madhab and, and most of the Madhabs, it is commendable to make dua in sujood outside of what we say. So first we observe the sunnah, subhanu rabbi al at least that three times, and then we make dua for whatever, because this is the closest we will be in having our du'as inshallah accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala describes the companions of the Prophet as people who used to observe night vigil. Those people who would rise from their beds in order to pray. Sometimes I get this question also quite frequently from women that say perhaps it is the their time of the month and they are unable to pray. But are they able to engage in acts of worship at night, even if they are menstruating? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dua, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, recitation of the Quran, according to, to, to most, in anything that is going to increase your Iman, alhamdulillah, you're free to engage in that. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil That takes us to, so, so that's the, the next adornment that we want to acquire is night vigil. So what was the first? Not being a corrosive force in the daytime, corruption. The second is responding to people with the adab and character. The third is the synergy between the heart, the words, and the actions. And now the fourth, ikhlas, sincerity. And the fifth is night vigil. So these are five Things we can adorn, Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin as Muslims, as faithful Muslims, as adherent Muslims, to become better throughout our life. And these are not linear. These are things that will take time, alhamdulillah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمُ إِنَّ عذابها كان إِنَّهَا <inaudible> سَاءَتْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and there are those who say, our cherisher, our creator, avert from us the suffering of hell, for its suffering is, is continuous. And indeed it is a miserable residence and destination. There is a number of things that we we can take from this verse rather quickly, and then we're going to take our first break, inshallah, for a few minutes. And that is that these are people of dua. These are people of dua. That these are people who are making dua regularly, subhanallah. They are people, and that's why I want you to pay attention to something in Arabic is kind of lost in the uh, English translation. That whenever the mudar is used, the, the imperfect tense in Arabic, the imperfect tense implies continuity. That it is, excuse me, implies consistency. Afwan. That that I am consistent making dua. So it's yaqulun, not qalu. They said, Yaquloon, they say and they will say. They are supplicating, they will supplicate. Let's quickly talk about some of the etiquettes of dua that are very important. Number one is eating halal, is to eat halal. We know the Prophet, he mentioned a person who his earnings and his nourishment were from haram, and he raised his hands in dua. And the Prophet said, that his, his food, his clothing, his nourishment is, is from haram sources. Haram here doesn't only mean the biha, that it's slaughtered. Haram could also be that it's taken through oppression, that it's taken illegally, that it's usurped. حرام, حرام, حرام. Prophet said that his source of Clothing and food and drink are all, all forbidden. فَأَنَّا how's, How is dua going to be answered then? The third, the second important etiquette is that we want to be engaged in da'wah. The Prophet wasallam he said, by him in whose hands is my life, you either enjoy good and forbid evil, or Allah will certainly send his punishment upon you, and you will make dua, and your dua will not be answered. Doesn't mean at a macro level you go out in the streets and start. No, no, but I'm calling to good, I'm forbidding the evil. In my own life, in the life of those that in my circle of influence. This the third is being present in supplication. Right? To be to be to be attentive. The hadith of the Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will continue to respond to a person in du'a, as long as they are present in that du'a. The fourth is avoiding sin. Amr al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he said, caution with Allah, with what Allah has prohibited, causes the du'a to be accepted. And that's why if someone asked Sufyan al what is the key to having dua accepted? He said, "Inna تَرْكَ الذُّنُوبِ Subhanallah. He says something really nice. He said that, indeed, it is only leaving sin that causes a dua to be accepted. Subhanallah. Being passionate in dua. The Prophet said that, when one of you supplicates, let he or she be de- decisive. And they should not say, oh, Allah, if you want or if you like. No, ask Allah what you want and be confident in the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are kind of the outer etiquettes of dua. What we tend not to talk about, though, are the inner, the attitudes, the emotions that should be there when dua is made. And again, I want us to understand something. Dua is an event but the process of of, or the the answer of our dua often comes in a process comes over time comes in ways how many of us subhanallah we made dua for something and at that time it was so important to us and maybe even we forgot about it and then later on in life bam oh man yeah subhanallah i made dua for this i made dua for this So let's talk about a few of the attitudes we should have during du'a. Number one, we should assume the best. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that Allah Taala said, I am to you as you think I am. And it's important to realize that Allah Taala does not have to answer our du'as. We do not have a commodified relationship with Allah Taala. So sometimes I meet people and they're like, Allah's angry with me. Allah hates me. Allah has abandoned me. Why? Because He didn't give me what I wanted. Hold up a minute. Like, let's step back and ask ourselves who knows what's best for who? That's why, subhanAllah, we can sometimes we heard from some of our teachers, ul Jawab, who Jawab. Yeah, that the absence of the answer is in fact the answer. Like the, the, the absence of the answer to my dua, what I want, is actually the best answer. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two important names we should understand. al Muati wal the one who gives and the one who keeps away. He keeps away from us because it's for our benefit. We should trust his withholding more than we rely on what we think is best for us. That's the height of tawakkul. And the same, when we're given something, whether it's difficulty or whether it's ease, alhamdulillah, it's from Allah. Everything from Allah is good. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next is we should know that Allah is in control. Imam Ibn Allah in Al-Hikam, he says something so beautiful. He says, He says, do not let a delayed response in the giving, in the gift you're asking for, your dua. When you are doing that with incredible passion and there's a delayed response and you're making this consistent, passionate dua, but the response isn't there. He says, do not let that cause you to despair. فَهُوَ لَكَ يَخْتَارُهُ لَكَ لَا لِنَفْسِكَ Because he has guaranteed that he will answer you in the time he chose, not in the time you choose. الْوَقْتِ الَّذِي يُرِيدَ لَا فِي الْوَقْتِ الَّذِي تُرِيدَ In a way that he chose, not in the way you chose. And the time he chose, not the time you chose. But he guaranteed he will answer you in this life or the next. So alhamdulillah, those are some of the, uh, you know, etiquettes of dua. Let's just mention a few of the unwarranted controversies that again have been created by, uh, unfortunately, passionate people who are very sincere, but perhaps they are not uh, exposed to all of the kind of uh, research on dua so one is raising the hands in dua you find sometimes people telling people they shouldn't raise their hands in dua this is a religious innovation uh, i have a long discussion about bid'ah. you can listen to it i think on my podcast or on youtube um but imam ibn hajr al-haythami he writes in fatwa al-kubra raising the hands in dua is a sunnah in every supplication outside of the prayers Whoever assumes that he, alayhi salatu salam, did not raise his hands in supplication except during the prayer for rain, that person is extremely negligent, sloppy, and irresponsible. SubhanAllah. Imam Ibn Hajar Haytani was scholar of hadith. So he's talking about this from the perspective of all of the hadith narrations that he was aware of, which were immense. A second controversy that we need to be careful of, is dua in congregation. And people tell people that making dua in congregation is a bid'ah. But here, the verse itself, right? If you look at this verse in Surah Al Furqan, subhanAllah, verse number uh, um, 65, it says very clearly in Arabic, they say. So they are saying it together. We find Sayyidina. Musa and Sayyidina Harun, they made du'a together. We find in Surah and Surat Qasas, we find in uh, Surat Taha. we find in Surat Baqra, Ibrahim and his son, Ismail, They made du'a together in the Qur'an. And it's impossible for us to believe that the prophets were doing bid'a. Or that the Qur'an would teach us a bidah, but this is actually rooted in a, a authentic hadith of our beloved Prophet, Sallallahu who says that Asma وَإِدْبَارُ الْمَكْتُوبَةِ You know, this hadith of the Prophet that said the dua that is heard the most is the one made in the middle of the night and the one made after the obligatory prayers. the the, the 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 difference amongst the scholars is in the word idbar. some of the scholars says that idbar means at the end of prayers means after the tahiyat so in the prayer before my salam this is the end of prayer other scholars they said they said no adbar means after the salam so that's why you go to some masajid and people say assalamu alaikum assalamu alaikum and then they start to make dua because of this hadith, this is not a bid'ah. This is a difference on the meaning of a sound narration. Bid'ah means there is no evidence. But here there's evidence. That's why al-Hattab al Mariki he said, Wala mashru'iyati ad-dua' khalfa There's actually no difference about making dua uh, after prayers. What they differ over is what does after mean? And from the Salaf, you have both practices. And again, dua and congregation, perhaps the best evidence for it is if you go to the 40th chapter of the Quran, verse 60. Wa qala rabbukum lakum. Your Lord says, call on me, all of you, plural, I will answer all of you. And Imam Al Nawi, in his famous book, Al Azkar, he has a chapter, Baab al e al Jalis fi Jami li Nafsihi wa man ma'a. The section on du'as for someone who's sitting by themselves or sitting with others. This is another unwarranted controversy. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking earlier, as someone who embraced Islam, in the United States I have seen how these unwarranted controversies have destroyed convert communities as our sister said and it actually touched me and impacted me I think it was Hawa who wrote, who said it there are people that I embraced Islam with we were brothers and sisters in dunya and after Islam we became enemies how is that possible Subhanallah, we could agree on kufr, but we can't agree on haqq. That's a disaster. And again, I can't emphasize how oftentimes these issues are inflamed and amplified either by agents who are working to destabilize the Muslim world and the Muslim communities in America also, or at the minimum people who are passionate but perhaps irresponsible. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions that these are the people of dua. And what did they say? Rabbana, our Lord. Again, unity. The idea of being in a group, because we know that dua in congregation has a greater chance of being accepted. Because you never know who amongst us may be that righteous person, alhamdulillah, who engages in that dua. And that dua, alhamdulillah, has barakah. And it's accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of that person's head, That person's heart. And what do they make dua for? Rabbana surif anna. The word sarf means to move. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when talking about winds that blow, he says, What riyah In Surah al-Baqarah, the winds, they're blowing. We have the science in Arabic language, al Right? That words change uh, the, 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 the structure of the word mu'min, amin iman, that change is called tasrif so rabbana srif oh our lord, avert from us avert from us sarf avert the hellfire from us something really beautiful here these are people who have akhlaq these are people who speak to people with a sense of dignity and refinement and respect even when they're not agreeing with them They're firm also. There are people who are sincere in their heart. These are people who pray at night, but still they worry about hellfire. That's the sign of humility. So now we're adding some more qualities to our personality that we want to work on. We said, number one, not committing corruption in the world. Number two, having adab. Number three, sincerity. Number four, praying at night. Number five, dua. Number six, humility. Even though they're, subhanAllah, righteous people, salihin, they still worry that the hellfire is haq. Prophet he used to cry when he would think about hell, even though he's ma'soom. Allah gave him maqam mahmuda the greatest station, but still he feared the hellfire. And he used to cry for us out of fear for hell. We have a problem that theology in America now, as it becomes untethered from any sense of orthodoxy, we're talking about broader theology in this country, as it begins to capitulate to the currents of people, instead of establishing anchors that people can protect themselves from those currents with, it becomes part of the currents, it has simply projected itself as a theology of hope. But Islam is very different. And Abu Hamad, rahimahullah, in his book, Minhaj al the same book we read every Tuesday night here with the ICNYU, alhamdulillah. In Minhaj al-Abedin, he talks about the fifth valley that a person is going to run into, or sixth valley, that the person is going to run into, who's trying to live a fight life of faith and devotion, and that is balancing fear and hope. Has to be fear, has to be hope. Both are needed. That's why Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, he said, junuhan, that fear and hope are like two wings of a bird. So I use the fear of God, the fear of hell, when I start to feel that I'm slipping, it's Fajr time, and my eyes want to go back to sleep, and, you know i'm lazy i don't want to get i don't want to do what i need to do let me remember allah's punishment if i'm despondent and defeated and broken let me have hope in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so some ulama they said have fear when you're young have hope when you're old that's why sheikh dardir he says wa bi ala in al Kharida Sheikh Al-Derdir, He says, you know, that in certain moments in your life, let fear push you to be better. And at other moments of your life, let hope push you to be better. And we mentioned yesterday that Imam Al-Ghazali says that fear is good as long as it inspires you to responsibility. And hope is good as long as it inspires you to responsibility. Yeah, both. Not just one or the other. Subhanallah. So here they say Rabbana surf 'anna 'adhab jahannam Oh Allah save us from the punishment of hell avert it from us In 'adhabaha kana ghorama yani abadiya because its punishment is everlasting Inaha ay in jahannam sa'at mustaqarra wa muqama And indeed hellfire hell is the worst place of rest and the worst place to be established. Yani al iqama Like we say, maqama Ibrahim. Right? The maqama of Ibrahim is where we know that place is. We don't want to be in the maqam of hell. we? we're going to take a break for a moment. We finish now the positive qualities, those things that we want to adorn ourselves with. And next we're going to talk about those things that we want to remove uh, from our lives. We'll come back in about uh, 10 minutes, inshallah. wa